Good morning. Uh, I'm Tom, and welcome to uh, Christ Community. Uh, Olathe Campus, it's great to see you, and uh, I see some familiar faces and some not so familiar. I hope you're not strangers. At the end of the service, uh, I'd love to greet you, and uh, it's a delight to be with you today. Uh, the Olathe team is an awesome team, and I love the staff here and all who serve you. Uh, it's a joy to serve with them, and I serve on the teaching team at Christ Community, and uh, again, it's just a great delight. Um, I'm grateful Reed let me actually come and, and speak this morning, so thank you, Reed, for that privilege. Uh, before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. I don't know what your week has been like, but let's calm our hearts and minds and uh, open our hearts to what God would have us say through his word, okay? So, Heavenly Father, with the psalmist, we do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of each one of our hearts would be acceptable to you, for you are our audience of one, and open our hearts, help us to think well, help us to arrange our loves well, for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I had never heard the names Katherine Johnson, Mary Jackson, and Dorothy Vaughn. That is, until their names were splashed across the screen in 2016 in a remarkable movie that I recommend, if you've not seen it, called Hidden Figures. These three remarkable women were trailblazers, hidden figures, unsung heroes that put the first men on the moon as they worked for NASA. Their brilliant mathematician abilities truly made the difference between our astronauts getting to the moon or not getting there. I love their story because I think it reflects so much of the stories of human history. As we look back at the train of human history, you often see hidden figures, trailblazers that altered the very train of human history. And this is truly Luke, who writes the book of Acts. This is his framework as he unpacks this remarkable history of the first century church that our church family across our city are examining through Luke's inspired pen. Heroes that make an amazing difference are all across this wonderful text called the book of Acts. And so, when we look at the book of Acts, we wonder, why is it that they changed the world? In fact, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, specifically those who opposed the gospel and opposed the church actually described the early trailblazers with these words. The men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Luke is trying to help us understand something, and he wants to pique in our curiosity as thoughtful listeners and readers of the text. The question emerging in our hearts and minds is, how was it possible for a remote, small band of trailblazers in the remotest part of the Roman Empire to change the world upside down? How is that possible? Luke gives us hints of this. If you brought a Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 18 as it sets the trajectory for the last chapters that we are examining in the book of Acts. So Acts 18. Now in Acts 18, as we come there, we understand that Luke gives us the picture that Paul has left the intellectual epicenter of the Roman Empire. He has left Athens, and now he goes to the central epicenter of the Roman Empire, Corinth, just 40 miles away. 
It is against this backdrop that Paul will stay on mission and he will plant a local church called Corinth. And it's against this backdrop, particularly in this section, that we see the early trailblazers of the early church altering the train of human history, and we ask the question, why? And Luke gives us some hints. Clearly, the gospel itself was profoundly transformational. We must not miss that the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, profoundly brought power and transformation to the early church. But we must not miss another piece that Luke wants us not to miss in the book of Acts, and that is a movement mentality. There is a stunning mentality that sets the early church apart, and there are three components we want to look at this morning, three components that are highlighted in Acts 18, but set the trajectory for the rest of the book of Acts. And these three, for your note-taking or just arranging sort of the habitual furniture of your mind, follow these three flows. First, close-knit friendships, close-knit friendships. Secondly, on the heels of that, Luke will tell us seamless faith. And third, a multiplication mindset. You ready? Let's dive in. Acts chapter 18 opens this way. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, which is uh, modern-day Turkey, recently from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. So Paul's first priority in entering Corinth, Greece, was to go find someone, to find Priscilla and Aquila. So who is this trailblazing couple, these amazing hidden figures that transform the shape of the world, who would become close friends with the Apostle Paul? Luke gives us some of their profile. Like Paul, Aquila and Priscilla had a Jewish background. They're originally from Pontus, again, which is Turkey, and they were living in Rome. Luke's description of going to see them in the original text tells us most likely Paul previously knew of them or most likely knew them at some level. So as Luke writes his history here in chapter 18 all the way to chapter 28, he increasingly presents to us a growing movement of interconnected networks, overlapping networks, followers of Jesus, strategically positioned and peppered throughout the entire Roman Empire. Luke also notes that there were refugees, Priscilla and Aquila. They had relocated to Corinth because they had been forced out of Rome. Luke's description of Paul, again, going to see them, tells us that they are not strangers to Paul. And he, the text will say he finds them. So what we see is this growing pattern in the book of Acts of people who are strategically positioned. Now, one of the Friends of Christ community and a very thoughtful leader across the nation is sociologist James Davison Hunter. He teaches at the University of Virginia, and he wrote a few years ago a, a watershed book. It's called To Change the World. James Davison Hunter tells us that when you look at human history, how the world has changed, how cultures change, is not primarily because of a genius individual that's charismatic. It is primarily a group of people who are in overlapping networks based on close friendships 
that share common ideas, common love, and a common cause. And this is important for us to understand. It is like the close-knit friendships are like the oxygen that fuels the rocket forward. And we see throughout the book of Acts and the New Testament, the close-knit friendships and relationships of people who are on mission with Christ in the world. Since the beginning of Christ's community, we have had this passion because the closer-knit friendships on cause over time means the greater impact. The deeper friendships on mission for the longer period of time means the greatest impact. And from the beginning of Christ's community, when on a good morning there were just two members in an apartment, this has been our passion. We have had a mission statement that has animated Christ's community for 30 years. And that is to be what? A caring family. Notice that begins the mission of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ. I want you to see that as important as it was when there was two of us or thousands of us today, being a caring family cements us into a movement mentality where we have close-knit friendships and community. That's the foundation. Developing close-knit friendships matter here at Christ Community. Church is not simply a place we attend on Sunday. It is a people, a community we are a part of. Flourishing friendships matter to us at Christ Community. A place where we can know and be known is at the heart of a movement. But notice the second component of a movement mentality, and that is not only close-knit friendships, it is a seamless faith, a seamless faith. Look with me at verses three and four. Notice how Luke continues. And because he, that's Paul, was of the same trade, he stayed with them, Aquila and Priscilla, and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. What Luke is presenting to us on the canvas of history is a seamless gospel faith of Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla, a faith that informs and encompasses every nook and cranny of human existence. Do you see it? Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla share not only a common life, a common vocation, but they actually live together. It's a beautiful picture of a seamless gospel faith. Now, we know several things as we look carefully at the text that Aquila and Priscilla had moved from Turkey to Rome originally. They are now living in a home, okay? So they're part of the aristocratic group in Corinth. At the end of the chapter, and you'll notice Luke in his literary brilliance, he's one of the most brilliant Greek writers in the New Testament, will begin opening a chapter and ending it to give our main message it's called literary inclusio. We're going to touch a little bit more on the end of the chapter in a moment, but notice Luke wants us to pick up something here in the open verses that Priscilla and Aquila don't just have a mom and pop shop of tent making, or literally the word is leather making industry. They were very influential. And remember, Luke has already, if you've been here in the, in, in the series, Luke has already highlighted a Gentile leading businesswoman in the Roman Empire named Lydia. He's doing this intentionally. These are hidden figures, trailblazers, who catapult the gospel church movement forward in amazing ways in the Roman Empire. There's a beautiful picture here we must not miss of a seamless faith. 
Paul not only works, notice, daily in Priscilla and Aquila's tent-making business or leather-making business, he also, notice verse 4, he also proclaims the gospel in the synagogues every Saturday. This is a beautiful picture of gospel incarnation, gospel proclamation in a seamless fabric of faithfulness. The book of Acts will highlight Paul's bold proclamation of the gospel as it builds to Acts 28. But we must not miss the seamless faith that is emphasized here, that is at the heart of a transformational movement mentality. A faith, a gospel faith that speaks into every nook and cranny of life in a seamless fabric. We need to grasp that Luke describes the early church as all on mission. The idea here is that everywhere we are, everything we're doing, everyone we're with, all the time, we are on mission. And tragically, these early verses of Acts 8 have been profoundly misinterpreted and taught very poorly, sadly. Often we have heard wrongly and perilously that somehow Paul is just working in the tent-making business so he can do more important preaching ministry later. This is not a biblical idea. It is a faulty idea. It's a perilous idea. When we look at Paul's tent-making business, we should not see it as merely a utilitarian means to a greater and more important work. Now, why do I say that? The Holy Scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, emphasize we were created with work in mind. The biblical text defines work as not compensation, but contribution for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. Work itself is a primary way God designed us to worship as His image bearer. Now, again, we don't worship our work. That's idolatry. But when we understand the biblical text, work matters. One biblical scholar shatters his faulty teaching on Acts 18, and he says it beautifully. He says, Paul is a witness when he preached, and when he makes tents, and when he uses his earnings to benefit the broader community. This fits directly into Luke's view that the Spirit, Holy Spirit, empowers Christians to use their resources for the sake of the whole community, which in turn witnesses to the gospel. The entirety of one's life has the potential to bear witness. The gospel, properly understood, friends, transforms all of life. Every aspect of human life should be a witness to the goodness, truth, and beauty of the truly good life that's in Jesus. We must not buy in to a faulty, pernicious, perilous, bifurcated view of our life where somehow what we do on Sunday is really worship and important and what we do on Monday is not that important and it's work. The great Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, turned the corner of history when he raised the level of all of our work. And he said this, this is amazing. If you put it in the cultural context, he said, the milkmaid, that's like in his time, in the 16th century, like the lowest person, the most menial entry-level job. It might be like someone, when you're in a fast food restaurant, cleaning the restaurant or, or uh, restroom next to you. Pretty hard job, don't you think? Or when you're traveling, 
uh, in a big airport. Let's just say you're in O'Hare. <laughs> and there's someone cleaning the toilet right next to you. Often when I travel, I look for those people and I thank them. And sometimes there's just this amazing look. No one's ever thanked me before. But Martin Luther said it right. He said, the milkmaid, let's think of that person cleaning the toilet next to you in O'Hare Airport. If doing that unto God is as much worship as the priest or pastor sharing Holy Communion. And Martin Luther is right. This is what the Scripture teaches. And it profoundly changes all of our lives. We must confront, friends, erroneous thinking that even implies a certain kind of work is secular and another kind of work is sacred. Or that some work is full-time Christian work and some kinds of work are not full-time Christian work. Let me say this as clear as I can. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're an apprentice of Jesus, whether you get a paycheck for your work or not, whether that paycheck comes from a church, a parachurch organization, a government agency, a small business, a corporation, we as followers of Jesus are all in full-time Christian work. Because the Bible teaches wherever we are, whoever we're with, with, whatever we are doing, whenever it is, we are on mission with Christ in his world. We are on kingdom mission. This was the seamless gospel faith that the first century believers embraced. The Pauls, the Priscilla, the Aquila, the Lydias. No wonder they changed the world. No wonder. And what does that say about the church today? If you are here and not yet a follower of Jesus, can I encourage you to see the Christian faith that you would consider as a faith that touches all dimensions of life? Your work, your relationships, the deepest longings of your heart. Jesus came to die for you. He rose again to give you life, not only in heaven, the new heavens one day, but now. The good, the beautiful, the true life that your heart longs for. If you've not embraced Jesus, would you do that? If you're a follower of Jesus today, let me ask you, have you embraced a seamless faith or a faulty faith? Whatever work God calls you to do, whether you are paid for it or not, it matters more than you can imagine. Your vocational calling is to be an act of worship to God and a primary way you witness for Christ each and every day in the world. And if you've not read our book, Work Matters, I encourage you, that's a good place to start. It frames the theology and mission of work. My calling as a pastor is important, but not any more important or God-honoring than your calling as a stay-at-home spouse, as a mechanic, as a corporate leader, as a teacher professional, as a retiree. I travel quite a bit and it's amazing to me how many people come up to me across this country and say, when I come to church, I often feel like a second-class citizen. That what I do is not as important as what pastors do. That is a tragedy. So all of us, if we're in Christ, are on mission together. Close-knit friendships, seamless faith, 
And notice the third component, a multiplication mindset. In verse 5, notice, if you have your text open, Luke tells us that Paul adjusted his tent-making work schedule when Timothy and Silas arrived. Notice the text does not say, Paul stopped making tents. He adjusted his work schedule. I think he had early flex time. Paul is adjusting it to plant a church in Corinth. And notice in verses 6 to 23 how the gospel brings opposition, but it also brings reception. Two leading figures come to faith in Jesus. And Paul stays 18 months to disciple people. Paul wasn't just about converts. He knew the end game was discipling people. And notice the growing band of leaders. Do you see that in the book of Acts? I want you to look at it as you look at it this week. Notice how Luke continues to weave different leaders and these networks that are emerging across the Roman Empire. Notice how Paul or how Luke ends this chapter. Verses 24 through 28. Follow along if you would. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. Competent in the scriptures, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus, or Jesus was the Messiah. Now, isn't it curious that Apollos, who is from northern Africa, is showing up in what is now Turkey? Doesn't that pique your interest? How did Apollos get there? And Luke doesn't tell us, but he tells us a lot. Who was this guy? Well, we know that Luke is impressed with him. Very impressed with him. Remember, Luke has one of the most brilliant writings in the New Testament in its style. Luke is very educated as a physician. He values the life of the mind. And uh, he tells us that Apollos is from Alexandria. Alexandria this time had one of the largest libraries in the world. In fact, after the first service this morning, someone said to me, I didn't know this, that Alexa is named after Alexandrian Library of Amazon. Isn't that something? Smart people. It's a brilliant place. It was the intellectual repository of the world. And here's Apollos. Notice how Luke highlights his intellectual acumen. Do you see that? His, his persuasive prowess. And notice his teachability. Here's business leaders, Priscilla and Aquila, who are mentoring him and sponsoring him to go across the Roman Empire with the gospel. And notice also Priscilla's name moves ahead of Aquila. Do you see that? And in the original language, when there is an order change, it's not just literary style here, although Luke has brilliant literary style in the original text. It is to emphasize Priscilla's leadership role. Her high social standing is there. But also, notice, together they are coaching and training Apollos. Hidden figures, you bet. 
Trailblazers, absolutely. Most of us would never imagine when we think of the New Testament as some of the most important people ever mentioned are Priscilla and Aquila and Lydia. And that's true in our history. Christ's community, people like Brian and Cindy, John and Jan, Steve and Rhonda, hidden figures, early pioneers. Each one of you can be trailblazers on a mission that is just getting starting, started and the fruit, most fruitful days are ahead of us. Where would the early church be without business leaders like Lydia, Priscilla, and Aquila, without gifted intellectual powerhouses like African Apollos? God uses ordinary people in all walks of life who are teachable, available, and all in on God's mission everywhere they are. Luke shows us how the Apostle Paul is investing his life in leaders and multiplication. Acts 20, verse 14, it's not a verse you want to read really. There's lots of names, but it's not incidental. Seven people are mentioned. And I'll read it and notice how strategically they are placed. So Potter, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, notice the geographical placement by Luke, Tychicus and Trophimus, those went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. Do you see the network building? Do you see the multiplication mindset? Do you see the movement? And Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2 that the heart of a local church is a movement mentality of multiplication. He says, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Movements develop close-knit friendships. They have seamless faith and they're about spiritual multiplication. They are highly relational, seamlessly integral, and widely impactful. Now, since Christ came to his inception 30 years ago, we have had a mission statement that has guided us. I want to repeat it again and notice what it says. We are to be a caring family, but not just of disciples, as important as that is. Our church is birthed around multiplying disciples, influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ. The local church properly understood is not merely a set of beliefs we enthusiastically affirm. It is a person we wholeheartedly follow person of Christ. And as we follow Jesus, we seek to multiply other followers of Jesus. And as apprentices of Jesus, we have been first called to a person, then to a local church community, and then to the disciple-making mission together. And since the beginning of Christ's community, God has blessed the work in amazing ways. Again, from a small apartment in Lenexa when we had a membership of two, to five campuses across our city. Together and in our individual vocations and collective partnerships, we are increasingly touching many parts of our city. There are many, many Lydias, many, many Priscillas, many, many Aquilas in our campuses across our city who are living a seamless faith on mission. Our partnerships as a broader church are touching the nation and the globe from Iran to Africa to China. 
just alone in the last 15 years in our pastoral residency, where we are like a teaching hospital who train pastors when they finish their Master's of Divinity, they come and are immersed for two years with us. We are sending pastors, a whole new generation of pastors, trained differently to churches across our nation and the academy. We are all a part of this multiplication mission. Our fellows program is another initiative. Amazing. Where students, after they finish their undergraduate college degree, come and spend nine months with us in full immersion in their work, through an internship, in their teaching, and in local church service. And just three years ago, joining with a like-minded foundation out of Wisconsin, Christ Community launched a brand new organization called Made to Flourish. Made to Flourish is committed to replicate much of what God has given Christ Community across our nation. And in just three years, over 2,300 pastors are now in our network in just three years. We are in 24 cities as a network and Lord willing, we will expand it five this year. And one of the things I was just tickled pink to be able to share with you because I've never been able to share this before <laughs> is that our national conference, CG 2019, Common Good 2019, where we are going to simulcast speakers in our conference all around our country to at least 60 to 100 locations next fall, will be simulcast live from here in this campus. Is that amazing? And you're a part of it. Isn't that amazing? See, wherever we are, whoever we're with, whatever we're doing, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we all are on mission. So let me ask you three questions of reflection. What does that mean? First question is, who are you locking arms with? There's no Lone Ranger Christians in the book of Acts. <laughs> There's a diverse group of people locking arms together, close-knit friendships, seamless faith, multiplying leaders and disciples of Jesus. Isn't it amazing that in Paul's letter to the Romans, that brilliant letter, the last chapter, Paul lists 27 trailblazers, 27 hidden figures who are turning the world upside down. And right in the center of them, you guessed it, is Priscilla and Aquila in that order. Paul writes, Greet Priscilla, or Prisca is another name for her, kind of a friendship buddy name. And Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for the gospel. I give them thanks, but all, listen, all the churches of the Gentiles give them thanks as well. Why does he say that? Because Priscilla and Aquila's time, talent, and treasure profoundly move the gospel forward as business leaders. And then he says, greet also the church in their home. They had a large home, and the church met there. Priscilla and Aquila, along with 25 other names, are not only dear friends that Paul cherishes on the cause, they were part of a gospel movement that was sweeping the Roman Empire. And I want to suggest for your consideration that perhaps our greatest friendships the most meaningful friendships through life are not forced around mere hobbies or common geography, but around a common mission. That has been true in my life. 
those we lock arms with in Christ on mission. So let me simply thank all of you this morning. Some of you I see who have been a part of the Lathan campus when it was very small and just beginning. Thank you for being pioneers, for being trailblazers. Some of you who have come recently, thank you, because you're still trailblazers. There's a long ways to go. Some of you may be here this morning looking for a church home. I'm going to encourage you to jump on board. We're not a perfect church, as one of my professors used to say, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it, you'll ruin it. It's true. There's no perfect church. But we're on mission together. So will you join us? Will you find spiritual community here? Will you find a community group maybe? Perhaps participate in Razor's Edge this fall? Who are you locking arms with? Second question is, are you living a seamless faith? At Christ Community, we are committed to help you connect Sunday worship with your Monday work. We are a church, not just for Sunday, but a church for Monday. Our greatest measure of success as pastors and leaders is not how well we perform on Sunday. It's how well you do as an apprentice of Jesus on Monday. That's our compass setting. Seamless faith is wherever you are. And wherever you are, Jesus is always with you. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whoever you're with, you're on mission. Our Christian faith informs, shapes, and integrates and empowers all dimensions of life. You and I were created by all we are and all we do and all we think and all we love to 24-7 worship God before our audience of one. Our relationships, our work, our hobbies, all of life. Are you living a seamless faith? Third, how are you multiplying your life? Each one of us has a sphere of influence and opportunity. It may be with our children at home, our colleagues at work, our grandchildren, it may be our friends in retirement. How are you influencing them? What about the most vulnerable in our community, in our city? What opportunities are uniquely being presented to you that Jesus has given you the opportunity to be Christ-like and to further his mission? Tracy Foster may not be a household name at Christ Community, but she and Jeremy and her family are hidden figures of our movement. Tracy is a mom, but she's also an apprentice of Jesus who is deeply concerned about how smartphones and technology is detrimentally impacting children, family, spiritual formation in our culture. So what did Tracy do? About six months ago, she and two other friends came together locked arms together in Christ, and they began an organization called START, which stands for Stand Together and Rethink Tech. START is impacting our country already in six months as it begins to build across our nation in some of our local school districts here. It's being enthusiastically embraced by many. Tracy is on mission.
She is cultivating close-knit friendships. She embraces a seamless faith with her husband. And she is multiplying her life for the advancement of Christ's kingdom in amazing ways. There are many Tracys at Christ's community all over our city, impacting the nation and the globe. Not long ago, I was speaking at a conference and um, above this very large space, there were signs on the back door of the sanctuary as people left Sunday morning corporate worship. The sign simply said, you are now entering the mission field. Friends, that's it. That's our passion. Everywhere you are, everyone you're with, everything you're doing 24-7 is on mission. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it profoundly challenges us in your grace to follow you and to be your ambassadors everywhere we are, everything we're doing, everyone we're with. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Tom. This is just a good reminder for us to hear. Um, I mean, whether you're a Christian or not, just to be fully aware of the... Well, again, uh, it was a joy uh, to be with you this morning, to worship with you. Um, again, if you're new or a guest, we're glad you're here. We would love the chance uh, to get to know you, to meet you and greet you at our welcome table outside or come, come find me, come say hi. But, um, but what, a, what a good reminder it is um, that the author of life gave his life that we might find life in him and join him in his work of redeeming and restoring all of life. Uh, because of Jesus, there, there are no small people and no small places. And that God has called us and sent us and equipped us to be, yes, the church gathered. We need this place. We need this space together. But it's so that we might be the church scattered in all the places God has called us. And so as we prepare, as we heard from Tom, as we prepare to leave this place into the mission field, into the places where the hope of Jesus needs to be declared, where, where injustices need to be challenged and where goodness needs to be brought, may we hear these words as we leave from being the church gathered to the church scattered. So brothers and sisters, hear these words as our benediction, our good word for the road. Whatever it is that you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. For you are serving the Lord Christ in all that you do. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great God-glorifying week.